0: If you know me, you know that Oprah Winfrey can do no wrong. Now, let me tell you. So in 1998, when she rolled out that little red wagon filled with a plastic garbage bag of pure fat, I think it was like 67 pounds. 67 pounds. I was with her.
1: Jimmy, is this gross or what? (laughs) It is amazing to me that I can't lift it, but I used to carry it around every day. I was always a
0: chubby kid, so I was all about every diet Oprah introduced us to. There was the South Beach diet, her Make the Connection book, which I still love, by the way, and her Best Life diet. There were so many, and I was about all of them. But 30 years later, I really thought we would have moved beyond talks about weight loss methods. And yet? I love bread. I love
1: bread. I now just manage it. Here is
0: my beloved Oprah still talking about losing weight. And she just extended her partnership for another five years with WW. That's the new name for Weight Watchers.
1: That's the genius of this program. I lost 26 pounds and I have eaten bread every single day. I
0: identify with Oprah so much. And so, it makes me sad to think that we are both still going through this battle with body image. It makes me think, will I be spending the rest of my life chasing that perfect diet to help get to this perfect make-believe weight? Even during this pandemic, I'm seeing these 20-day no-carb and no-sugar challenges to ward off what's being called the quarantine 15, like it's the new freshman 15. It is crazy. We are still thinking about our bodies and weight during a global health crisis. Dear truth be told. Dear truth be told.
1: Dear truth be told, I need your help.
0: I'm your host, Tanya Mosley. And you know, this idea of body image and weight as a lifelong project, it's why this conversation we're about to have is so real to me. And I'm so thankful to this episode's question asker, Rachel Daniels, for being vulnerable with us and echoing what has been on so many of our minds. How to navigate this world as a big black woman.
2: Hey truth be told, my name is Rachel Daniels and I've got a question for you. Being both overweight and Black makes me feel invisible and that I'm occupying too much space at the same time. The goal of course is to lose weight, but until then, how can I maneuver in the non-Black world in my body? Rachel,
0: you are not alone in this conversation. I'm having it, and our two wise ones we brought on to take on your question are also having it. I think you're really going to love what they have to say. Let me introduce you to our wise ones, Virgie Tovar and Chloe Hilliard. They're two dynamic women who have really been thinking deeply about the policing of black and brown bodies. We're all in different places, San Francisco, L.A., and New York, so we got on FaceTime so we could see each other.
3: How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Oh, I love the red. Oh,
1: thank you. It's my power <laughs> yes. color.
3: Yes. Oh, I've got my cheetah print. There you my go. My power
0: color. That's right. <laughs> Virgie Tovar is a fat activist and writer in San Francisco. And the thing she's really focused on is getting us to reframe our thoughts about our bodies and our relationship with food. I read her book, You Have the Right to Remain Fat in one day, one day. And I want to tell you that I cry through most of it. And that's because Virgie uses this declarative language that big girls just don't hear about our bodies. Virgie also has a new book out this spring, and it's called The Self-Love Revolution, Radical Body Positivity for Girls of Color, which I am totally getting for every young woman I know. And she's also got a new podcast out called Rebel Eaters Club. Hey, Virgie. Hi. I'm excited about this combo. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Our next wise one, I was actually laughing through our next guest's book. Chloe Hilliard is a writer and comedian, and you all might know her from her NBC uh, stint on Last Comic Standing, and she's a journalist too. Here's a skit from her Facebook channel called Fat Girl Moments.
1: We've all had our moments when you've had a bad day, you've been stressed out at work, you just wanna eat a whole cake by yourself. And you're entitled to. I call them fat girl moments. So slide into them sweatpants. You know the one with no elastic in the waist? Yeah, go big or go home. But when that moment's done, you throw it all away and you start the next day like a champion want to know more about
0: Chloe (laughs) I'm wearing elastic pants all the time these days I don't know (laughs)
1: like
0: (laughs) Chloe's new book is called fuck your diet and other
1: things my thighs
0: tell me Chloe I'm so excited to talk to you hi
1: I'm so excited you're here and in your comfortable sweatpants I should have wore some today
0: (laughs) you know there's they're in the style now they're the style
1: yes it's like a utilitarian pant we don't know what's gonna happen you gotta be prepared for every moment Mm -hmm. that's right that is so right Virgie I interviewed
0: you back in November around Thanksgiving, and mm-hmm. you were basically saying, lighten up. Don't be so hard on ourselves during the holidays. Eat what you want. Just be who you want. The thing is, the response we got from that, I mean, you would have thought that you were telling us like to murder people or something. <laughs>
3: yes. Right. I mean, what's so funny, right, is that it's dieting that leads to binge eating, right? Like Mm -hmm. when we don't believe that we can eat what we want as much as we want, we we end up having this like really intensely negative, unhealthful relationship to food. We lose our ability to know when we're hungry, when we're full, when something makes us feel good, when it doesn't, right? Because we're constantly looking to this arbitrary set of rules to figure out, am I good or am I bad? And so it's just funny. I think like what you're talking about, about really gets to the root and how deep the root of diet culture is. And I talked about this with you in November, right? Like the way that it's connected to colonialism and racism and sexism, they're all connected. And you really see in people's responses that we're not just talking about Mm -hmm. food. We're talking about Mm -hmm. a really long
0: history. It was so true. I want to talk to both of you guys about um, your past mm-hmm. and like what led you to being these phenomenal women that you are today who are just standing unapologetically in who you are. For those who don't know, Chloe, you are one, and you basically say you've been that height for a really long time before it was even cool to be tall.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, since I was 12. <laughs> so I'm 39 now,
0: mm-hmm. and I yeah. haven't grown
1: an inch <laughs> since I was That's 12. That's so
0: funny. <laughs> It's so funny. My daughter's 5'7", and she she says, oh, I'm a giraffe at school. And I said, Mm -hmm. one day this is going to be something that is an attribute for you. But yeah, you've been tall all of your life, basically. And you've also really had an interesting relationship with your body that has evolved over time.
1: Yes, people really don't realize how our relationship with food impacts our life. And I think that was the main focus for me when writing my book was just for me myself just realizing how my relationship with food and how people describe me as a child shaped my identity and my lack of self-confidence and it wasn't until my adult years where i just had to shake that and redefine who i am and come to terms with who i am and and my relationship with food because i think a lot of times we as people in this society we we punish ourselves for wanting something to eat or craving something or you know we covet food as if it's this like you know grand prize and if i do all of these things then i can have that cake and mm-hmm. i just had to let go of all of that because i realized that it was just taking up so much of my brain power to worry about what I'm going to eat for breakfast, lunch and dinner, mm-hmm. how I'm going to prepare mm-hmm. it, trying to go to the gym five days a week. That's three hours each day. It just was so consuming. And it was like if if I just eat in moderation, take care of myself and find happiness, then, you know, the endorphins in my body will give me the pleasure instead of having to like do the Stairmaster for 45 minutes. Are you there? Are you 100 percent there right now? I, I actually i am like I I gained some weight over the holidays and normally I would start the you know beginning of the year and like okay this is it I gotta get back on a vegan cleanse and do 21 days and I'm just like no I'm yeah. just gonna I'm just gonna mellow out you know of course you know there's a little vanity things that I would like to get done like down the line or you know maybe surgery but I'm actually fine and very surgery comfortable. yeah I would do it I would do like it. what I would too by the way I oh, totally would well, but I'm you curious. know I am um, I would get a tummy And I think I would get a tummy tuck because um, my weight does fluctuate. And if I were to get down to, you know, like the perfect weight in my mind, I would have excess skin. And I would have and that would make me even more uncomfortable than if I were heavier. So I think it would definitely impact me that way. And I would I would probably get a tummy tuck. Virgie, in your book, you wrote about the time
0: that you felt the most free uh, when you were a little girl, like five or
1: six before the world
0: began to tell you who you should be. And that resonated with me so much. I mean, thinking back to that time when you were a child and just free to be when we weren't even really thinking about our bodies, you know,
3: Yeah, we had this, I mean, right, like when you're a child, you do not have self-consciousness. You don't have any self-judgment. You relate to the world intuitively through the lens of pleasure and curiosity. But I just remember, you know, being a little girl and, you know, I had crushes on all kinds of people, right? Like it was like the total gamut. And I remember the crushes people had on me and it was all the gamut, right? And and I just sort of had this freedom to... Um, explore and just let my personality out and experiment and play and I had no concept there was something weird about my body or that I should be hiding it or that I should be not doing certain positions or not wearing certain clothes and um, and and unfortunately you know I really lost that when I was about five years old
0: yeah because that's when people start commenting to you about your body too yes. I mean we do that with kids really really young
3: absolutely yeah
0: yeah okay all of this. I think is going to really be important as we listen to our question asker, because so many of the things that you guys are talking about, our question asker has also been thinking very deeply about.
2: Hey, truth be told, my name is Rachel Daniels, and I've got a question for you. Being both overweight and Black makes me feel invisible and that I'm occupying too much space at the same time. The goal, of course, is to lose weight. But until then, how can I maneuver in the non-Black world in my body?
0: So Rachel is 37 years old, and she's a Black woman who lives in San Francisco, and she's also a registered nurse. And like you, Chloe, she's actually six feet tall. And she says her size has fluctuated anywhere from a size eight to a size 22. Here she is again.
2: And the reality is no one has ever outright said to me that my weight is an issue, but i know these thoughts and feelings come from the fact that i have heard comments uh, about other people's weight when i myself was at a smaller phase in my life there's been more than one occasion when i was dating a man and we would be out and maybe we've been steadily dating for maybe three to six months and he would make an offensive comment about a larger woman being her size being very disgusting to him and he would have no idea that I was that size or heavier at some point in time in my life. When I was a lighter weight, I've actually had friends or coworkers tell me in casual conversations that they wouldn't go to a healthcare provider because she was overweight. And these comments would even come from nurses, um, especially non-black nurses. They would make very derogatory comments. What a
0: question!
1: Mm.
0: What yeah. a question!
1: So many, so many layers. I, mm. I definitely. Uh, identify with her question. Uh, that was my experience when I worked in primarily white spaces. I, I'm very grateful I have the freedom to be a comedian because everybody is every shape and size, and that contributes to who you are. And so, the more different you are, you know, more people want to hear what you have to say. But when you're in a white space, it it is very taxing on your spirit because they subscribe to a whole different set of cultural norms, and they don't understand why our bodies are different and then i think also in her situation because she's in a medical field that's even more so rampant because there's so much racial like proven statistical racial bias and i actually discussed this in my book In the medical community where they really, even though Mm -hmm. they're supposed to be smart and they went to school and they paid all this money and all this debt and they're supposed to be saving lives. They don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) They don't understand that the black body is no different than the white body. And so they just attack us in such like so many passive aggressive ways. And I definitely sympathize with her. But I would say to be as unapologetic as possible, because once they sense that you are uncomfortable, then they feel that they are right in their criticism of you.
0: Mm, Oh, so I mean, that has worked
1: for you though right being unapologetic Absolutely. say more on that yes i mean so when i worked in in publishing i worked at an all women's magazine and you know majority of the edit staff were white women who were always trying to lose five pounds even though they were you know like a size two and i would be at my desk eating my lunch and they would come over and be like oh my god i wish i could eat like that and i would just be like you can eat like this and i'm going <laughs> to mm-hmm. eat in front of your face and i'm not going to stop eating in front of your face or like if there was cake in the office and they would be like like oh I couldn't eat it. I'm like the first with the knife and I'm cutting it up and I'm like I'm getting my piece first because I know you're lying or you're gonna eat it and pick off a bit with your nasty hands. Mm. So let me get my slice now <laughs> and eat in peace. <laughs> I'm not gonna let you guys make me insecure because you're insecure. And I think when people are critical of other people's bodies is because especially I mean I hate to bring her up because she's kind of been like the scapegoat but like when it comes to Lizzo the reason why people are so uh, disgusted by her is not that she's a larger person is that she goes against everything that we've been trained to think about our bodies and if she's happy with her size then what does that make me where's my cookie I lost 10 Mm -hmm. pounds and she's eating a whole damn cake and everybody's applauding her but I've been starving for two years so it's like Mm -hmm. why should she have all the fun and she's considered you know classically undesirable and she's everywhere and i've done everything that society's told me about looking slim and eating right and cutting carbs and doing keto and you know all of this other stuff and i'm not famous i'm not a millionaire she is so where's the justice right. and i think that's what people don't realize is that when people attack folks for size it's normally because they are unhappy with their own level of security And also, like, feeling that they got robbed by the rules that they were supposed to play in society.
0: Virgie, I, uh, you know, when she said at the end, the goal, of course, is to lose weight, I immediately thought about you because I was Mm. thinking, is that really the goal? Should it be the goal?
3: I mean, in short, no. I have so much to say to Rachel. Should I just start?
0: Yes, please
3: do. (laughs) Okay, so let's start with big picture here. Okay, so what Rachel's talking about here is diet culture, but she's also talking about gender. She's talking about race. She's talking about class, and she's talking about work, and and all of those things are connected. And it's important to understand, right, that diet culture primes us to accept discomfort, shame, self-denial, a sense of failure, gaslighting and financial exploitation these are things mm. that share characteristics with racism sexism misogyny just capitalism down the pipeline so it's important to understand that what she is talking about all these different arenas where she's feeling discomfort they are all connected and that's why she's feeling all that and I, I specifically wanted to talk about the experience that she talks about where she's dating and hearing yes comments oh my from gosh men. yes and i i think right like I guess rule number one for me I have is, like, do not date men who comment on anybody else, especially other women's bodies.
0: I just can't imagine being on a date and a man brings up a person's body that's, like, sitting next to us or walking down the street.
3: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've experienced this a lot when I was dating and I was still dieting. I was still accepting blame for my body. And I found at that time that when men said those things, it would make me feel safe because it's like, oh, they must not feel that way about my body size. Mm. And so and and this is this is like how misogyny has this really like men are socialized to do that, to make us feel that way straight men are. And then straight women are, are socialized to to experience this as safety like oh he's talking negatively about another woman to show me that he's loyal to me and he's attracted to me and I, I think it's coming from both directions unfortunately but like at this point I'm like you know set a boundary slash don't date people who comment on other women's yes. bodies because yes. that misogyny doesn't stop with other people is what I realize. Mm-hmm. right it, it never is just going the direct like outward it's always going to be coming inward it's always about it's always going to be in your relationship as well like you're not safe from people who talk like that, even if they're not talking about your body. And I think also, right... Uh, to go to the, the experience of having nurses, um, saying these horrible things. I mean, we know that the medical field has some of the highest rates of bigotry. I mean, this has just been proven through research. And it is really unfortunate because what's hap- what the, the reality is that two out of every three patients, um, are not getting real care, right? Because two thirds of mm-hmm. Americans are considered quote unquote obese or overweight, right? So that means that doctors and nurses are telling them lose weight first, then we'll deal with with your problems later, which I mean, and we also know that diets don't longitudinally work. So what we're looking at is two thirds of people consistently, that being the care, the extent of the care they're receiving.
0: And And she's a caregiver, by the way, so she's a registered nurse herself. Totally. So I see where you're going with this advice, I think. Keep going. Well, I but mean, I, think I think I know where you're going. Well,
3: I think Rachel is already having the rumblings of knowing something's not right. And she yep. can actually be that agent of change, even if she's just mm-hmm. doing it with her patients. And it's so powerful. I think about moments where I've had exchanges with nurses where they're like, you know, I think you're right that health and weight should be decoupled and that we should be giving people care based on whatever the presenting issue is, not on their on the basis of their weight. And it just does such reparative work even for someone like me who's been doing this for so long and I I kind of wait Virgie yes wait
0: what? so are you in the doctor's office like having conversations with the nurse oh yeah and doctors, I'm, I'm like oh, always wait a converting you- <laughs> yes. ABC. they weigh you and you say look this bmi thing is all messed oh, yeah. up and not based on my body you say all that Yeah, when you're i'm in just the like i'm not office.
3: getting weighed and i will not and like you know i'm just like I, I i mean i i'm pretty i'm pretty brazen i'm like i will not be weighed and if you do not respect this i will terminate this appointment right now mm. i'm just like that way Yeah. <laughs> Doctor, because I mean, I think back when I learned feminism before I learned anything about weight or body positivity or fat activism or anything, I learned about the history of how doctors treated women. And I was trained by my fellow feminists to self advocate because the history of how doctors treat women is also horrible and egregious.
1: I think for Rachel it's like Rachel I really want you to appreciate who you are and all that you have accomplished in life and don't let mm-hmm. what you see what other people see in the mirror or how people see you dampen or repress all the things that you bring to this world and so I mean I, I feel like I like to be as unapologetic I like to make other people uncomfortable and I think the, the, the biggest lesson I learned from working with passive aggressive women at a women's magazine is I always put it back on them when I hear them say something that is inappropriate I will act like I have no idea what they're saying. And I'm saying, I'm sorry, Uh, can you you explain? I don't get, I don't understand. Can you explain it to me? And I like to see them wiggle and explain what they said by that offensive comment. And then they Mm -hmm. have to defend it. And most times they can't.
0: My mind is still blown by Virgie refusing to (laughs) get herself weighed at the doctor. (laughs) Like, I didn't know that was a thing, but actually it's really powerful. It's powerful because you're right. Both of you have said, like, you go to the doctor... And the first thing that they will talk to you about is about your weight. If you're going and they weigh you, And how that might impact your health without like looking at some of the other things that are at play and giving a holistic view of you. And so, yeah, next time I'm going to the doctor, I'm not going to ask them to weigh me. I'm saying, no, I'm not going to. Yeah, you got to take that
1: power away. You have to take that power. That's the thing that people don't realize. Just because you're a larger person doesn't mean that you're not powerful. And you just have to know how to navigate and, and rewrite the rules because society has been written for this, you know, perfect body and nobody has a perfect body. So now you have to change the rules and make the world work towards your goals.
3: And I think this goes back to the heart of some of what Rachel's talking about and asking about, right? Like at the end of the day, every single one of us is being measured against a white masculine ideal. Mm -hmm. Medically, um, aesthetically, right? When we're everything in every arena, we are considered deviating from that. And that is considered the norm. And I kind of wanted to, I really wanted to get into like minority stress. And I i was just at this panel a few months ago that was talking about middle class black women's health outcomes. And it was wild because like they found out that middle class women experience even more stress than working class women in the workplace. Um, And that has these incredible... You know, medical outcomes. Like, I mean, we know that in black women's community, like that low birth weight, um, Absolutely. you know, all these different kinds yeah. of things that come from the compounding effects of racism and sexism and things like Absolutely. that.
1: Absolutely. And heart complications, I'm, too. Black women have some yes. of the highest heart, heart problems. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yes. This thing that you're talking about, I mean, we're really just coming into consciousness with this about the impacts of race and racism and what it does to black bodies. Mm -hmm. There's actually this professor uh, at Rutgers University. Her name is Brittany Cooper. Yeah. And she has been studying this and she actually believes that stress and anxiety caused by racism and racist policies could actually be changing Black women's metabolisms. Mm -hmm. So she believes that to the point where it actually becomes more difficult for Black women to lose weight. So it's compounded that additional stress on our health, heart health, birth rate, all of those things, life outcomes, you know, um, but but also this idea that it actually could have a direct impact on our weight. Isn't that
1: amazing? Just even that thought? Absolutely. I think for me, it's like once I started doing non- You know, traditional uh, exercises, when I started doing hot yoga and, you know, reading up on other like spirituality practices, I realized just how much our body responds to our environment. And I think, you know, in this society, we really don't listen to our bodies. We don't we don't look inward. We look outward to religion or, you know, the church. And I think a lot of times Mm -hmm. we don't have that connection to our bodies. We don't listen. We don't trust our gut. You know, we're striving towards these capitalistic goals of like what success is, but we don't sit quietly in a space and listen to our bodies. And I think a lot of Mm -hmm. times that is because of stress. It's like, well, I don't have the luxury of sitting still. And I think that I think especially, you know, and as a black woman, I've seen the black woman in my in my lives, my mom, my aunts, my grandmothers. It's like if I'm sitting still, I could be doing something. Something always has to be done. And that's right. And you don't have the luxury of relaxation. And I think that is a socioeconomic thing as well.
0: I want to go back to the thing that like really hits me with Rachel's question. Just that preface. I know the goal is to lose weight. And Mm. both of you guys have said I mean, and Virgie, you have it based on data that the more you diet, the more you're going to have problems because the more you'll be this on and off thing throughout your life. What advice would you guys have for for Rachel when it comes to thinking and the reframing and her being accepting of her body, but also still wanting to be healthy?
3: Um, I mean, I for me. Right. Like I think I think Rachel's doing enough. I think that we're all doing enough. We don't need to add this other thing, which is you know, quite frankly, it's an impossible task and it's a miserable task. I kind of want, I'm thinking about a couple of people who, um like I'm thinking about the book by Sabrina Strings, um, Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins mm. of Fat Phobia. Yep. And, you know, she has so much to say in this book about how our internalized fat phobia and how particularly like, right, right, when like we're talking about black women and internalized fat phobia, we're already always talking about internalized racism as well. Right. And like, and not seeing those as, It's different buckets. It's not like Mm -hmm. I have this body and that's one bucket, and I'm a woman and that's another bucket, and I'm a woman of color and that's another bucket. They're all in the same bucket, and we have to understand the pursuit of weight loss as already always a racialized pursuit Mm -hmm. of trying to attain a white body, and that creates stress in the body, that creates stress to the spirit, right? Like, I mean, just think about it, right? Like your whole you're spending all of this energy trying to acquire a body that we've been taught is ideal, but that's completely based on like racist like faux science right Um, and what that does to the spirit of a person and a person of color in particular and so I kind of want I really want to bring that to the forefront right like not only is dieting inefficacious it's been proven over and over and over again that like the chances of a woman who's classified as like quote unquote overweight becoming a quote unquote normal weight is long term is less than one percent that's a really powerful data point but like from a spiritual heart space perspective Dieting also really, like, it breaks our spirit. It Mm -hmm. makes us anxious. It makes us depressed. It makes us feel like we're never enough. And we already have enough on our plate, right? Like when we're living at the intersections of all these different marginalized identities.
1: Mm. I think, yeah, I think also it's like when it comes to me and dieting, um, I don't do that anymore because it always felt like a punishment. It felt like I was suffering and punishing myself for something I don't know that I did. What works for me When it comes to, you know, weight loss and being super healthy, it's like I I eat for my blood type. And I've found, you know, having read the books and, and, you know, talked to medical professionals, there's a lot of foods that I was eating as thinking that I was healthy. It, It was healthy for me that my body could not process. And you have to really learn what your body needs and how it operates. And I think the goal shouldn't be just to lose weight because that's just an arbitrary number and someone can always consider you fat, even though you may be the slimmest you've ever been in your life. I think the goal should be to be healthy and to be happy with yourself. And I feel Mm -hmm. like whatever that is, like for me, it's like I feel good when I look good in my clothes, when I feel right and comfortable and I'm not, you know, stitched up or suffocating, then I'm like, I'm content, I'm happy. And I think Rachel needs to find out what her happiness is instead of trying to identify with other people, because also being a tall woman. You're never going to fit in. You're never going to fit in. You're always going to stand out. So you might as well stand out and be confident. than try to shrink yourself. And that's something that I did a lot in my childhood. Uh, I was very unpopular. I was bullied all the time. I didn't really get a circle of friends until junior high school. And that Mm -hmm. helped me blossom. But up until then, I was always trying to shrink myself. Hunched over, bent over. My mother's like, put your head up. You know, stick your chest out. Like, be Mm -hmm. proud of who you are. And I think... A lot of times that in my experience is that when you are that confident person, people gravitate towards you because they wish they had that confidence. And I think if Rachel just switches her um, approach to her workspace and just like really just like don't give a crap, she'll see a shift in how people respond to her.
0: It really speaks to what you were saying about focusing on the internal and not the external. Mm-hmm. Like getting to know yourself and falling in love with yourself and figuring out what is the thing that your body, what, it, what are the foods that your body needs to be nourished? What are the things that make you happy? What are the, the things that you love? What are the things that you hate? I mean, we as women, we are conditioned to always be thinking externally, not only just about ourselves, but the people that we love that we care about what's happening at work what's happening at school what's
1: happening in our social groups i mean that's what i'm hearing from you yeah and i think it's really hard trying to be a strong black woman you know, know, and it's hard. And, you know, you put the weight of the world on your shoulders and you want to be this, you know, pillow of strength and, and you can't really be vulnerable. And, you know, at every turn in society, someone's attacking you because they feel that you are this like impenetrable human being who can just handle all of this crap. And it is taxing. And then, you know, then because of that, you start to emotionally eat. And so it is a cycle, as Virgie said, and it needs to be broken. It need you need to, I personally have stopped trying to appease a society that doesn't acknowledge me. So it's yeah. a it's a losing battle.
0: But you know what guys, I mean, it's a practice though, right? This is a practice. This is not something that you're going to just arrive at. Mm-hmm. Um I gave your book Virgie to my mother when I was in Detroit and every mm-hmm. once in a while, you know, I'm back in Cali now and every once in a while I'm like, dang, I wish I had her book <laughs> so I could like open it up and go Aww. back to that one page. But that's because you have to be reminded you know what i mean like it's something that you got to practice every single day until it becomes a practice an everyday feeling of embodiment the way that chloe is talking and the way she feels at this moment
3: yeah i mean i think about how i mean it is a practice and there's a lot of different components i mean i think for instance right what we're all talking about, and certainly what Rachel's talking about is trauma and pain. The pain of being reminded that something's wrong with your body every single day. That is painful and it has, it reverberates in our spirit, right? In our bodies. And, and so part of the practice is recognizing like that phobia is a social trauma. Racism is a social trauma. Sexism is a social trauma. And it, taking the space to be like, and it was wrong that that happened to me. It is wrong that I can't trust my coworkers. It is wrong that my dates say those things about other people it is not my fault it is or it is not my fault that other people are buying into this bigotry and I think that right like in addition to the practices of feeling good and doing things that are joyful and being confident and doing things that are fun and make you feel good right all the practices we're talking about there's also a practice of like okay I'm actually a soft squishy human who isn't like a, a machine and I'm affected by these things and taking the time mm-hmm. to be like I'm hurt that hurt and I'm going to take care of myself as a hurt person, in addition to sort of um, doing all this other stuff that really helps us interface with the world with appropriate boundaries and defensiveness.
0: You mentioned the word wrong, like we getting the messages that our bodies are wrong. Mm -hmm. But then there's also that feeling of just being different. Yeah. So that's a little bit different it's a little bit different framing Mm. but that's really what i'm hearing from from chloe more than anything is like no matter what you do you're always going to be like you're always going to be six foot yeah Mm -hmm. you're always going to be black Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you are always going to be this certain body type Mm. so you can actually like live in that and own that or you really the only other alternative is is to
1: be in this this cycle of pain Mm. for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. yeah and I think for me like a couple things like you know my aha moments were I started doing yoga I started practicing yoga about uh, two and a half years ago and it really changed the way I saw myself and I kind of encourage mm-hmm. people to do yoga because you know when you're in that room for however long you're not going to be able to accomplish all the poses and that's okay because your attempt is enough and you allow yourself to focus and I think another thing that people don't do especially if you consider yourself to be undesirable or you have low self-esteem you don't look in the mirror and so when you're in yoga you're staring at yourself and only yourself and you have to come to terms with that person that you see in that mirror and you have to push yourself and forgive yourself when you can't get things done and I think to me that was the thing that resonated because I grew up avoiding mirrors I didn't have a full-length mirror until I was in my late 20s and so yes I didn't want to see my body I didn't want to acknowledge what was there and so you know between you know practicing yoga and and I know it sounds really you know small but like having a length mirror in my house and standing in front of it butt ass naked and just being like that's cute I like that that's good okay I'm gonna work on that (laughs) you just have to embrace it because if you can't see yourself how do you expect other people to see you
0: Mm, how can other people see you absolutely your last thoughts for for Rachel I'll start with you Virgie
3: um Rachel there is absolutely nothing wrong with your body um I want you if I could if I could encourage you to do something it's like take the energy you put into worrying about some of the stuff especially around your body size and put it into something that makes you feel incredible and maybe it's 10 minutes to drink tea or write or go outside just something that that makes you feel embodied and makes you feel joyful
0: You know, every time you say there is nothing wrong with you, I don't, I kind of tear up. I don't know. We just don't hear it enough. I know. We just don't hear there is nothing wrong with you. Nothing. Oh, man.
1: Rachel, girl, I mean, (laughs) we got to link up. I want you to be my friend. Like, when I come out there, I want to hang out. I want to go shopping for, like, you know, tall pants. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I, you know what it is. I understand how she feels, and I, and Rachel, I just want you to know that I agree with Rogie. There's nothing wrong with you, and I think that you should really stop trying to appease other people's insecurities. And I, I think that's the way you look at it. It's like you know, realizing that the emperor doesn't have any clothes on. Like those people are having these conversations because it is a level of insecurity. And once you master that, you can just see them completely differently. And so instead of you being subjective to their you know inadequate comments you realize that that's their problem and it's for them to figure out and it's not your responsibility to make them feel better about their insecurities
0: can i give you guys all a virtual hug can yes. we like hug each other oh. feel so good <laughs> virgie tovar i know it does right <laughs> virgie tovar and chloe hillier thank you so much this was so much fun mm, thank, thank you, you. This conversation was really so affirming. It really did feel like a big warm hug. I can't tell you how important it is, no matter what age you are, to hear that there is nothing wrong with you or your body. So can y'all do me a favor? Can you stop with these 20-day no carb and no sugar challenges and workout text threads that I'm now on? I mean, my mom was telling me the other day that she's even on a text thread with her friends who have started this no sweatpants challenge, as in wear your nice clothes at home and post pictures of yourself working out. All I'm saying is for me, there is no time to be carb and sugar-free. I just can't do it right now. And I say, let yourself be free from all of that unless you're doing it for you because you want to. Just know that I can't get on the no bread train right now. But I do want to know how you're keeping yourself and your families healthy, both mentally and physically, as so many of us are spending all of our time at home. Share your COVID Chronicles with us. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is truthbetoldkqed or use our hashtag, AskTBT. Our phone lines are always open as well, so you can give us a call at 415-553-2802. That's 415-553-2802. On our next episode of Truth Be Told, we get personal with our producer, Issa Mendoza. Issa's father was deported 11 years ago and since then her family has been coping the best way they can and they still haven't healed. She wants to change that.
2: I think the the pain and the tragedy of family separation is so deep and so unique that even if it happened to you a month ago or six months or like myself like 11 years the pain is very fresh and I don't know what happens after this. How does anybody move forward? What is the future for families like mine and how do we get to live our future and not just
0: imagine it. That's next time on Truth Be Told. Truth Be Told is produced by Susie Racho, LaToya Tools, Issa Mendoza, and Katie McMurrin. KQED's leadership team includes Julie Kane, Ethan tobin lindsey and Holly Kernan. A big thanks to Kiana Mogadam and the good people at NPR West. Truth Be Told is a production of KQED in San Francisco. I'm Tanya Mosley.